As you're seated, let me ask you to uh, turn to Luke chapter 13. And while you're doing that, Byron, when you come and join me, uh, it has been one of the greatest joys of my ministry to serve alongside your search team. Uh, they love the Lord from the depths of our heart and love uh, this church as well. And it has been such a pleasure. Byron's going to come with a, a brief announcement about where we are in our process. I want to say, uh, first of all, yeah. I want to say that we, uh, we truly do thank you, each and every one of you, for the last 15 months of, of prayer, and I, I don't say that lightly. We, uh, we decided early on as a group that we were going to fully lean into the Holy Spirit to guide us through this process, and that is felt most when the church comes together of one accord on our knees, praying desperately for this process, praying for our team, praying for the candidate, his family. And we're going to ask that you double down on that over the next few weeks, possibly months, um, as we kind of transition uh, a little bit. We've, uh, we've gotten some very good resumes over the last few weeks. We've uh, debated and talked, uh, had a lot of phone conversations to choose the top candidates from those, combine that with some top candidates from earlier on. And so we're going to be doing some in-person interviews coming up uh, over the next few weeks. So we really need this church behind us, uh, uh, like I said, of one accord, on our knees, desperately asking the Lord to speak to our group, to speak to these candidates, and uh, just guide us in that process. We are working very hard. I know it's been a long process. It's been long on our end as well, but we're meeting weekly. Um, Brother Fred has brought a lot of his knowledge and experience to our group, so we, uh, we just ask that you would continue to think on us and remember us as we transition into this next phase. Thank you. Thank you, Byron. It is always a great privilege to work with some a group of people who just love the Lord and don't, uh, don't mind putting themselves out there in a, in a tough place to see what the Lord's going to do. Uh, Luke chapter 18. <clears throat> Let me uh, begin by... I think it's important for a pastor who loves a congregation to always be on the watch out for things that... Paul, <laughs> that's a good, pretty good catch, uh, <clears throat> that can infect the people that he loves. And there is an illness, there is a cancer, there is a decay that is rather rampant in United States, churches especially. And this insidious bug is best referred to as religious pride, spiritual pride, and it can hide very, uh, almost imperceptibly sometimes. But the Word of God, the Spirit of God has a way of exposing this, and it's easy for it to get into our hearts, it's easy for us to impact the way we see others, and we see ourselves. And so I'll ask you this morning to just be as transparent before God as you know how to be, and just open your heart to him as he wants to open his heart to you. Now, we're going to be going to a very uh, familiar passage, uh, one that many of you have probably uh, been over in, in Sunday school or, or uh, uh, vacation Bible school even. But please don't allow the familiarity you have with the Word of God to hinder you from seeing something God has got very much in the depths. It was some, some time ago that I began really just really digging into this passage, and all of a sudden, something jumped out at me that just, I mean, it was like the proverbial two-by-four smacked me right in the face. And it had to do with uh, uh, 
uh, really the original language, and one particular word, and I, was, I looked at all the different translations, uh, about half of them have it correct, the others just kind of gloss over it. And so we're going we're gonna to put on the brakes and look at that in just a few moments. But read with me a very familiar parable from Jesus, from Luke chapter uh, nine, uh, chapter 18, we're going to begin with verse 9. He had already told one parable that had to do with prayer, persistence in prayer, and this is really a secondary parable that has to do with prayer. Look at it in verse 9. The word says, also he, Jesus, spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves. Now there's your religious pride. That they were righteous, that they had it all together, and despised others. That's a picture word. It means really to look down one's nose underneath somebody, okay? And here's the story. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, underline the word a there, a sinner. We underline that word. And out in the margin, write the word thee. In all of the ancient texts and all of the Greek texts that we have, they all agree the word is the definite article, thee. But some translators translate it as a sinner, but about half of them translate it as the sinner. I think Jesus knew what he was planning when he spoke this parable, and he said the word thee, and I think he meant the word thee. God be merciful to me, the sinner. Jesus goes on to say, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, many of us know this parable well enough that we could at least paraphrase it, if not quote it. And we, we read this and we look at all them bad folks out there that this parable describes. And we feel somehow comforted. But Holy Spirit, many times you won't let us be comfortable in your word. When we read the word and see any other face but our own. So Holy Spirit, will you hold the mirror of the word up to our face today? And let us see ourselves as only you know how, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Now, this parable is, for many of us, very comfortable, like putting an old pair of work, uh, work boots on that's already broken in. We know it from beginning to end, but sometimes we know it so well that we don't know it at all. 
And this has definitely happened to me many times. Don't ever read quickly over God's Word because, oh, I've read that a hundred times before. Read it like you've never read it before, and Holy Spirit will speak to you uniquely each and every time. This has to do with prayer. It has to do with a heart attitude in prayer. The Scripture tells us that God looks on the heart of man, not on the outside, not on what he can see, what he can hear, but he looks to the heart of man because he knows the thoughts and intents of our heart. He knows what's going on in our mind and in our heart while we are praying. And this is, this is incre- incredibly clear in the passage we have here before us. So let's look at the parable here, specifically beginning with verse 10. Now, he says, starts off, two men went up to the temple to pray. Okay, starts out well, but I want you to see, he intended there to be a stark contrast. A stark contrast between these two people who went up to the temple to pray. It's a contrast he wants us to see. So let's paint the picture. First of all, let's talk about the tax collectors for a moment. The tax collectors were a pariah on the society. They were the scum of the Jewish earth. They were despised. They were hated. Why? Well, they were Jewish citizens. They were Israeli by birth. But they had taken a job with Rome. Now, Rome had conquered Israel, and Israel was under the heavy boot of Roman occupation. And as happens so many times when under a country is under siege like this, they were heavily, heavily, heavily taxed. Well, now, Romans had to control this whole uh, world, so they couldn't take time to collect the taxes, so they hired the job out. They hired it out locally to people who knew the people. And here's the way they would do it. You know how much the taxes are and how much they are owe Rome. You charge whatever you want. And whatever extra you make, that's your pay that goes in your pocket. That's the way it went. So these were Jewish citizens who were traitors to their people. They not only levied the tax upon their people, but they extorted vast sums of money on top of that, okay? So this is who we're talking about. They were hated by their countrymen. They were not allowed in the synagogue. You would go to the other side of the street, not to walk on the same side of the street they were on. They wouldn't even accept, in the court of law, the court would not accept their testimony because they saw them as notorious liars, So they were literally the scum of the earth. Now, let's look for a moment at the Pharisee. I know because you and I have been students of the word for a while, when we think of a Pharisee, we think negatively. We think about those are the ones who persecuted Jesus, tried to get him into so much trouble and trip him up and all of those things. And that's absolutely true. But you need to hear this like somebody in Jesus' day heard it. And in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were considered the cream of the crop. They were the most religious, the most devout, the most conservative. They were the ones who were ardently keeping the law. And so wherever they went, they were greatly respected. Now, you knew them because of how they dressed. 
The scripture says that, that, uh, that we are to wear phylacteries before us with the word of God always before our head and before our hands. So what the Pharisees would do, they'd have a little leather box that they would put scriptures in and they would tie it to their head right there. And then they would have a little box on their wrist and wrap around their arm and they would carry these boxes with the scriptures so they're always by their hands and on their head and you could always see them. They had long flowing uh, robes, phylacteries and prayer shawls and when they showed up there was no question this was a Pharisee. And people gave them deference. People respected them. They'd come to the restaurant. They'd move you out of your seat to put a Pharisee right there on the front seat. They were always given this kind of deference. They were the religious heroes of the day. They were the ones who were honestly taking faith seriously, and it showed in their behavior. And so if there was a a gathering and there was a Pharisee there, he'd be called on to pray. He was the one everybody looked to to be the spiritual leader. So understand this contrast, okay? Okay. Uh, I was flipping through the channels here the other day, uh, waiting over there to get ready, and I came across an, uh, an old Gene Autry Western. Now, some of you don't know who I'm talking about. To you, I say, <laughs> anyway, in the old Gene Autry Westerns, Gene Autry wore a white hat, and all the bad guys wore the black hats, right? And you always knew who the bad guys were and who the good guys were, all right? Well, in this case, first glimpse... The bad guy is the tax collector. He's the bad guy. He's the scum of the earth. The good guy is the Pharisee. He's the one keeping all the laws. This is how Jesus' audience would have received this. So you need to receive it the same way his audience did to where you can see what's going on. He put this contrast. These two people went up to pray. Here's how he sets up the whole story. So let's look at the Pharisee's prayer beginning here in verse 11. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Let's pause there for a moment. Have you ever taken time to thank God for what you haven't been through in life? Have you ever taken time to thank God that you haven't had to go through some of the mud and the crud to get to where you are, that where God pulled you out of? This is what he's saying. Thank you, God, that I had godly parents and I grew up in the synagogue and and I didn't take the bad road in life. I didn't make these horrible choices that I was a robber or a, a thief or a liar or, God forbid, a tax collector. There's good here, folks, I want you to hear. Take time to thank God for what you hadn't have to go through in life. My boys and I were all together here a year or so ago when I, I, I retired. They came for the retirement party. Everybody got together, which was something. It had been 10 years since we'd all been together. And, and they, were, they were talking. And they said, Dad, we're so thankful for what God has delivered you from and, and who you are right now. He said, but our testimony is not like yours. And I said, praise God that you didn't have to go through the filth And the mud and the mire that you're dead, you've got the testimony that I'm jealous of because of what God has saved you from that you never had to go through. So take time to thank God for what you hadn't had to go through. Pharisee started out right. He started out good. Thanking God that he had not gone through some of these these things. But there's something 
that stinks about this. <laughs> Something smells just a little bit. You see, when he brings the tax collector into it, you sense something turn just a little bit. But it's a critical turning point. And you begin to realize some things. Four things very quickly. First of all, he came into a position of prominence. The, the Pharisee, when he came, he came in to the court of Israel. Okay, You come to the court of the women, the court of, uh, of, uh, of Israel, and uh, or she's the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, and then the court of Israel. And that's where Jewish men only could come. And when you come to, you, you come in all the way, and as you get to the very uh, edge of the, the partition right here, where you can see beyond, but you can't go beyond, the next is the court of the priests, that only the Levites can go in. And just beyond that is the holy place, where God himself dwelt. Okay, so where does the Pharisee come? All right, he comes into the court of Israel, goes right up to the edge of where as far as he can go, and, and here he opens his, his arms wide, you see his phylacteries, all the, and he begins to pray. Right out there in front of God and everybody. Okay, keep that in mind. That's not necessarily a bad thing all by itself, but keep that in mind. That's the first thing. The second thing, he made his prayer very loud for everybody to hear. Everybody could hear this. And then third, look what he said. His prayer was totally self-absorbed. Five times he uses the personal pronoun I. Look, look, look at it with me right here. He says, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. The man had an eye problem. A serious eye problem. Prayer was about him. It wasn't about God. It wasn't about his glory. It wasn't about other people. It was all about him looking good. It's almost as if he was saying, God, I bet you're proud to have somebody like me. <laughs> because I'm not like all this other scum of the earth. I am one of your chosen. No, he didn't say that. But the attitude rings in that. And fourth, where it really turns is where he brings this tax collector into it. Because what he's doing, he's saying, you want to see how good I look? Look at him. Compared to him, I'm a saint. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can always find somebody that's nastier than you are. It doesn't matter. You can always find somebody that's worse than you are. A very notorious man, really was a gangster, died in a community. And this pastor was called on to do the funeral. And he didn't know what he was going to say. But the man had a brother and the brother showed up and said, listen, listen, I'm writing you a check for $500,000. And all you have to do is refer to my brother 
as a saint. The pastor took it and held it, thought about it. He went up to preach a little later, holding the check in his hand. And he said, I want you to know something. This man who I'm doing the funeral for was a gangster. He was a murderer. He was as horrendous as a man could be. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. (laughs) And he got the money, too. (laughs) Here's the thing. When you determine your righteousness, comparing yourself to someone who is worse than you are, you are the one that's deceived. You're the one that's deceived. Do you know God doesn't grade on a curve? You don't do that. We do. We like to point to others who are the worst sinners than we are, and that makes us feel better. We're just better sinners, that's all. And the truth is not in us. When he pulled in the tax collector, he, he stepped on the back of that sinner to make himself look more righteous. This is where religious pride begins to seek in. Very insidious. Does God want us to be righteous, good people? Yeah, he does. Does he want us to keep, you know, all the rules and regulations? Yeah, he does. Does he want us to excel in personal holiness? Absolutely, he does. But this is not what saves us. This is evidence that we're saved. There's a difference between the two. Spiritual pride had eaten this Pharisee alive. And it was obvious from his prayers. Now, now let's look at the prayer of the tax collector. Verse 13, and the tax collector, standing afar off, stop right there for a minute. He was likewise at the temple, which by itself was surprising. How we got through the court of the Gentiles and the court of the women without somebody mugging him and killing him, we'll never know. But here he is, and he's made his way also into the court of Israel. Because as a native-born Israeli... That's where he was allowed to go. But what did he do? Did he parade all the way up and stand right beside the tax collector just as far as he could go? Mm -mm. What's the scripture say? He barely stepped inside the court to one side. He knew he didn't even deserve to be there, let alone way up there where the Pharisee was. He, look what he says. The tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast. Pause right there for a moment. The the, the contrast is astounding. Pharisee way up here drawing attention to himself. Tax collector back here hidden in the shadows and in the corners. Publican standing there, hands and head raised to God. The tax collector can't even raise his head to look up into heaven. The Pharisee, thanking God for all of his goodness. The tax collector, beating his chest. A universal sign of grief and brokenness for one's sin. When was the last time that you were broken? Because of sin in your life. 
whether it be no more than a lie or a lustful glance or something much, much, much worse in our way of measuring things. When was the last time you were broken? Before God, where you couldn't raise your head to Him because the shame was so heavy and all you could do was beat your chest. The tax collector said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Why did he say that? Why did those words come to his mind? They're beginning of Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Why is that important? That's David's great psalm of repentance. David, let me take you back real quick. David was king over Israel. One night, he was up on his rooftop. because It's cooler in the evening. People go on the rooftops in the night. And he, because his, his, the palace was higher than any other place in town, he looked down. And on another rooftop, he saw a woman over there, Bathsheba. He lusted after her, had her brought to him, had relations with her, found out she was pregnant. Then he had Uriah, her husband who was in the military, sent to the front lines under orders that others pull away and let him be killed, and he was killed. And then to show how magnanimous he was as a king, he took poor Bathsheba to be his very own wife. And everybody said, yay, David, what a wonderful king we have who so loved his soldier that he was going to take care of the widow. He got away with it. Nearly. But God knew his sin. And God whispered that sin to Nathan the prophet. And Nathan exposed David. And as a result of him being exposed for his sin of murder and adultery, he wrote that psalm. Psalm 51. And it begins, God be merciful unto me. David, the king, but the murderer and the adulterer, crying out, God be merciful to me. This tax collector had heard that song since he was in Torah school. Since he was a child. And he thought, if God can be merciful to a murderer and an adulterer, maybe, just maybe, he could be merciful to a tax collector. And so his words were Scripture. He was praying Scripture. God, be merciful unto me, the sinner. The sinner. When I use that phrase, the sinner, does any face come to your mind? Maybe one of the mass murderers, son of Sam or Zodiac killer. Or maybe one of those guys that went into the school and shot up all the schools and killed all the kids and teachers. Does that face come to your mind? The sinner? If you're a student of the New Testament, you might think about Paul. Because Paul, you know, said, God came to save sinners of whom I am chief. None of them's any worse than I am. But here, before Paul... This man identifies himself, the sinner. The sinner. How do you think he got that label? I mean, we don't know. But I imagine when he sold out to Rome to be a tax collector, 
What usually happens in a situation like that, the family disowned him. The family wrote him off. The family shunned him like he'd never been born. And they treated him as the sinner. The sinner in our family. Most of our families have got at least one. (laughs) The sinner. He sold out. Maybe it was his friends and associates, the boys he grew up with, and now they're adults together. And they were trying to live good godly lives, and he sold out to Rome. And so they might have marked him and labeled him the sinner. And as he walked down the street, everybody knew exactly who he was. And they would either turn around and go the other way, or they'd go to the other side of the street, whispering, don't walk over there. That's, that's the sinner. Folks, when you hear a label thrown at you long enough, you begin to wear it as part of your identity. It becomes part of who you are. Some people are labeled. They labeled with the scarlet D. Divorced. Can't mess with them. They're labeled with a scarlet A. Adulterous. Don't have anything to do with them. Scarlet C. Convict. Criminal. Don't trust them. Some are labeled slow. Special needs. Some are labeled Drunk. No good won't amount to anything. When you hear these labels long enough, you begin to wear them as part of your identity. I know. I can admit to that having formed my early identity. We don't know how He got so labeled. But he accepted this. He he knew that if anybody deserved that label, the sinner, it was him. And whereas the Pharisee wanted to compare himself to others who were worse, the tax collector had no desire to compare himself to anybody. Because he knew in the eyes of God, there were none any worse. The sinner. God be merciful to me, the sinner. Have you ever stood there? Have you ever stood there before God? Honest and humble and transparent before Him. Not trying to compare yourself to anybody else that's worse than you are. But understanding that sin is sin. And to be honest to God, you have to say, God be merciful to me. I am the sinner. If there were only one on planet earth, it would be me. And if it was only me, Jesus would have still come and died that His blood might cleanse me. So God be merciful to me, the sinner. Jesus told the story. 
How did he wrap it up? Let's look right here. I tell you, Jesus said, that this man, the tax collector, the sinner, went down to his house justified. What does justified mean? So thoroughly cleansed as just as if you'd never sinned. Absolutely as pure and innocent as a newborn babe. That's, that's what it means. This man went to his house justified rather than the other, the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So how did Jesus wrap this up? Jesus is exposing the insidiousness of religious pride that looks down spiritual noses at people that are worse than we are. This Pharisee, for all of his claiming to love God, had none of the love of God in his heart. He didn't look at this man as a poor sinner in need of loving and care, but only to be disdained and turned away from. Folks, you've got to be very careful, first of all, labeling people. We've got to be very careful that God came not to save righteous folks, but sinners. And if you can't see yourself, apart from God's grace, as a sinner in need of a Savior, then you've got a pharisaical nose and Jesus is here today to snatch it out of joint. I know and acknowledge that apart from God's grace in my life, apart from the blood of Jesus Christ, I have to stand and defy this man in the Scriptures and argue with him which one of us is the sinner? I know my sin better than you ever could. And I serve a God who knows him better than even I know it. And so if I really want to value the blood of Christ and value the grace of God, I have to stand not on the backs of those that I am better than, but at the lowest place of the low and say with this man, God be merciful to me, the sinner. God, if you're looking for a sinner, one that needs the blood of Christ, one that needs grace and mercy, one that needs to be flooded with your peace, here is the sinner right here. I would ask you in all humility to join me there. If you cannot, if you will not, then you have to ask yourself, am I genuinely bought by the blood of Christ? And do I value the blood and the grace of God? Do I feel like I am who I am because I'm as good as I am? Or because I'm so good at following God's rules and regulations and such as that, and I go to church and I put some money in the plate, and I'm, I'm better than anybody else. If that's your opinion of yourself, you stand with the Pharisee.
But if you understand that apart from the grace of God, I am doomed and damned for all eternity. Apart from the grace of God, there's no bigger sinner. Then guess what? You're exactly who God came looking for today. To bless. To bless with being saved. Or to bless with joy and thanksgiving that you have been saved. Now it's time to do business with God. Not with me, but with God. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to put you on your honor before God Himself. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes because nobody has any business watching what's about to happen. And if you peep, I'm going to ask God to make a big old red bump come up on the end of your nose so I can identify you next week. We got to do business with God. Stand with me if you will, please. Get a good grip on the pew because I don't want you to close your eyes and fall over, okay? Stand with me. Close your eyes for a moment because this doesn't matter to anybody else but us and God. Apart from the grace of God, I know how God has saved you. I know how God has washed you of your sins. I know all of that. But apart from the grace of God, do you know who and what you are? Who I am and what I am, apart from the grace of God, is the sinner. God, I need you to be a person. Merciful to me, the sinner. So I'm going to ask you to do this. Nobody's looking. I want you to take your index finger of your right hand. And if you can say this with me, I want you to tap your heart. And just say, God, here's the sinner. Take your finger. Tap your heart. God, here's the sinner right here. Can you say that? By the grace of God... Apart from your loving me, Lord, and the blood of Jesus Christ, here's the sinner right here. Now, if you can't pull yourself to say that, then I ask you to go away from here asking God, why could I not say that? Why could I not admit that? Is it my own self-righteousness I'm standing on? A- am, I, am I better than all these other people and somehow I'm not the sinner anymore? I'm the good guy. I'm the guy in the white hat. I want you to get along with God and ask Him why you couldn't do that. Maybe you couldn't do that because you've never asked Jesus. To come into your heart. Maybe you've never asked Him to come and cleanse you and forgive you. Maybe you've never recognized yourself as the sinner. So He can come and He can take your sin and die on the cross of Christ for the full punishment of it. And rise again to give you His very life. Maybe that's never happened to you. If that's the case right now, will you pray with me and say, Oh God... Now's the time. I need you to be merciful to me because I'm confessing that I'm the sinner. I dare to believe that when you died 
It was to take the guilt of my sins upon yourself. And when you rose again, it was to take my life and give me your life. I accept you right now as my Lord and Savior. If that's your prayer, I'm going to ask you to do one of two things. After we have our closing prayer, come see me. I'll be close at the front here or go to our Connection Center and see one of our other counselors. We want to celebrate with you with the decision you've made and love you and let you know how much God loves you. One more time. Index finger, tapping a heart. God, be merciful to me. Apart from your grace and mercy, I am the sinner. But I'm bought by the blood of Christ, cleansed, forgiven, and adopted into the family of God, for which I have to say hallelujah and thank you, Father. In the name of Christ, let it be so. Amen.